Hello everyone, and hello humans. Welcome to Not A Robot's Marvel Comics Weekly Review Show, back after our summer break. Today we are going to be talking about Web of Spider-Man number 4, Hellions 15, Demon Day's Curse Web, Avengers number 48, New Mutants 21, Captain Marvel 32, Marvel's Dark Ages number 1, Sinister War number 4, and Last Annihilation Wiccan and Hulkling number 1. My name is Kirk, and I would love to meet the guy who cuts Colossus's hair. And today I am joined by Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica, and punching Mr. Sinister in the face would be the highlight of my career. We are here to read, critique, and review Marvel's weekly releases without any interference from the publisher. If you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at NotARobotComics. You can find me on Twitter at Kirk Hopko, and Jess is there at Jessica Hopko. We answer show mail set to notarobotcomics at gmail.com. And before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. And thank you listeners too. like, download, and share our episodes so you can get more content and we can get more listeners and bring you even more of the content you love. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast show at notarobotpodcast.com. Before we dive into anything, though, we need to introduce the newest guest on our show. Jessica, say hi to everyone. Hello again. So before we get into it, I just tell a little bit about yourself. If they've listened to other Not A Robot material, I'm sure they're familiar with you. But pretend they've never heard of you before. Talk a little bit about yourself, your experience with Marvel, Marvel Comics, and what brings you here. Thanks. So, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. (laughs) If you didn't clue in from the Twitter handles, uh, we are married. Uh, We met 12 years ago now. Geez, so right as Iron Man 2 was airing in theaters, I had never grown up with comics. Um, I didn't understand continuity in movies or comics or any of that kind of stuff. For example, I watched X-Men Last Stand and didn't watch the other X-Men movies. I grew up in a very, very small town. There's no excuse, but I really was not in that world. Um, So meeting Kirk, I really was introduced to it and needed to catch up, basically. Um, So I really was introduced to Marvel movies first, so the MCU. And I hadn't read a full-bore Marvel comic until I was part of Not A Robot podcast, and they were asking the entire network... If anyone wanted to review the DC Pride comic anthology and the Marvel Pride anthology that came out this past June, um, I identify as bisexual, and so I was happy to join on those. Um, Me, Rob, Holly primarily, and then um, Caitlin as well on one of them. Uh, So I hope you've listened to one of those. They're super fun. And the biggest thing I learned from those was that they were so short. (laughs) I just wanted more content um, with some of the characters, other ones I just wasn't as interested in. And then Kirk always wants more people here, and I'm happy to come. Awesome, yeah. And I'm really happy to have someone sort of provide that light into comics on who hasn't had that excessive amount of background. Because one of the questions that everyone who reads comics and everyone who reviews comics ever gets, where do I start? Where do I start? And the answer that I have been trying to convince people forever is... Literally anywhere. Some of them are bad places to start, sure, and some of them are better places to start. But every comic you read makes the next one easier. Starting at Avengers 48 means you understand more about what goes into Avengers 49. And before you know it, you've already forgotten what it feels like to not know who any of these people are or why you should give a shit. Also, Google exists. Um, But even that sometimes is a little unhelpful. Um, I can't think of a Marvel 
example, but when we were reviewing the DC Pride anthology, trying to Google Jess Chambers was very unhelpful, whereas reading the comic was... I understood the character way better than the Google search resulted. So I do agree with parts of that, and we'll talk about that as we get through the issues this week. (laughs) Awesome. All right. And before we jump into the comic reviews, there's just a few things in the news that we want to hit up. Uh, A big news item that just came forward is Marvel announced their comics lineup starting in December that's going forward. Some of the really big ones that we're getting. Uh, We're going to see a Daredevil event, Devil's Reign, led by Chip Zdarsky. That one's going to be fun. Make sure you tune into that, because I know we will be. We've got Avengers Forever, a new Kang arc. If you're coming off the heels of Loki, this is a good time to get into Kang. It's a whole new timeline threatening Earth-616 in Marvel's Timeless. Then if you've been paying attention to the ongoing Krakoa drama that is going to get way more dramatic, with X-Men's Inferno coming out uh, at the end of this month, really... But in January, we've got the X-Lives of Wolverine and the X-Deaths of Wolverine. Two series covering the life and times of our favorite immortal, Bub. (laughs) Then we've got She-Hulk, the Fantastic Four's Reckoning War, and a brand new run starring Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So if you're interested in Lunella Lafayette, make sure you tune in around February. We'll be bringing you all the hits and all the good news all through that. But a bigger news item that some of you might have heard... Shang-Chi, theatrical release. And sorry, I now know I've been corrected. Shang-Chi. We've seen the movie. This isn't an MCU movie review podcast, but we do have one of those. So make sure you check it out on notarobotpodcast.com. Shang-Chi review coming soon. But it's in the theaters, and I'm going to spoil a bit of my review. Check it out. It's a good movie. <laughs> I yeah, that's all the news I have. Um, I enjoyed Shang Chi. Um, there is a lot to talk about it, so I won't spoil anything or bring up news about it. I would say go support your minority cast members um, in theaters if you're able to safely. Depending on what restrictions look like for you, I know it's different for everybody, but we were lucky enough to be able to go, and it was. A surreal experience being in a theater for the first time. Yeah, that was definitely it, the weirdest moment I think for me in the entire in the entire thing was it was a mostly full theater. They gave spacer seats between each group of people who booked tickets, so it was as close to a full theater as they were allowed to with the set of restrictions that we had here uh, in the city. But uh, the weirdest part was, I guess it's sort of less agreed upon now what the point you're supposed to start being quiet in a movie is oh yeah we didn't even talk about that (laughs) oh man that was the weirdest thing for me was it did get quiet no one was really talking during the movie but the marvel logo where the thing plays and all the shots people were talking over that and i swear i mean i know it's been two years people were quiet during that before this is new and same thing with trailers i felt like there were a lot more people heckling over the trailers which was weird especially since for me watching the eternals trailer on a big screen i started crying and i wasn't even sure why because i have no personal attachment to any of the eternals characters or angelina jolie (laughs) right oh that movie looks like it's gonna be so good (laughs) all right And so I want to dive into our comics, but we have taken a bit of an extended break, and I just want to give a shout out to a few comics from the last few weeks that we haven't had time to review. Um, 
maybe when we can get the whole band back together and we can get Brandon on, maybe we'll talk about some of his greatest hits from the past few weeks that we've missed also. But I just want to shout out a few comics that I did get a chance to read, but we haven't done a formal review on. There's lots of reviews out there. These are some comics that are a few weeks old now at this point. Uh, Cable Reloaded number one. It's right smack in the middle of the last Annihilation arc, uh, but it is now a more pronounced adult version of the young Cable who left our ranks a couple months ago. Um, America Chavez made in the USA number five. I have a lot of conflicting feelings on this arc, uh, and the end did not put all of them to rest, but I did enjoy seeing my girl America on the, on the page again. And just, I I wanted to shout out that I finished it out. It wasn't, it never uh, repelled me so bad that I stopped reading it. And if you're a fan of America Chavez, it's good enough to keep reading. Retcons taste may vary. Trial of Magneto number one. Guys, holy shit. If I could be reviewing it right now, I would, but it's it's a few weeks old now. Trial of Magneto number one. We're going to be covering the Trial of Magneto as it goes forward. Magneto is my jam. Scarlet Witch is my jam. And everything about this budding relationship and potential news with the Scarlet Witch and what's going on with her. It's all tight. Uh, Infinite Destinies kept going with Miles Morales' annual issue. Good things to check out there. And speaking of Shang-Chi, our boy there, the Marvel Voices Identity Anthology comic, covering a lot of uh, characters of Asian descent and lots of really cool stuff going on there. Highly recommend checking it out. But we've got this week's comics. And so now we're going to start in. Jess, take it away with Web of Spider-Man number four. So we're just going to do a quick review of this one. Uh, I gave it a, like, 2 out of 10. I know, it's really bad to me. Okay, here's my thing. I gave it that rating. The art style was adorable, but not quite my jam. And I'm not interested in Teenage Peter Parker. It's not for me. I If I was, like, 12, this would have been my favorite comic this week. But I'm not, so it wasn't. Um, this is also my first introduction of Lunella, who is adorable. I can't wait for Moon Girl in February. But I just, it didn't focus on her enough. It just was, uh. It's also my first introduction of Amadeus Cho. And the only person I really got of him is that he's the same sort of arrogant that Tony is. And he just berates them the whole time about being ambushed. And then they subsequently get ambushed. I just, it felt like that was a one note story whereas other stories we'll talk about later have more depth okay yeah i gave web of spider-man a number four uh number four uh, a six out of ten uh i didn't enjoy it um but like to me a six out of ten is if you're a big spider-man fan you're gonna have something that brings you to this comic that you like a little bit it's got spider antics it's got a cool green goblin and it introduces a fun villain at the end uh i I don't think it's unpurchasable um which a two out of ten kind of suggests i wouldn't i wouldn't get more but that said uh web spider-man number four uh that moves us on to hellions number 15 this really continues uh our favorite group of miscreants working for mr sinister um, essentially it is the end of the fallout or the last leg of the fallout from, uh, Mr. Sinister's betrayal with the Araco mutants to that he used to steal their DNA. Um, and the confrontation that are in arcades place, they used mastermind to alter the Hellions memories and, uh, 
Quanon has finally come clean to the rest of the Hellions about that uh, because Mr. Sinister has an undocumented um, an undocumented sample of Quanon's daughter's DNA. But Havoc blew it all up anyway. More to come on that. I gave Hellions number 15 a 7.2 out of 10. Point two. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. All right, Jess, take it away with Demon Days. Uh, so Demon Days, Cursed Web, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a special arc uh, reimagining alternate versions of Mariko Yoshida, Mystique, Sabretooth, and more. We see Mariko heading up a mountain in search of someone that she thought she cared about and has been kidnapped. She gets attacked. Um, I wasn't really a fan of this one. It was kind of violent, um, like only in very short bursts. I'm not a horror movie person. I'm not a gore person. Um, so even in comic book, um, as a medium, it felt a little jarring to me. Maybe it's just that I don't have the exposure um, to those sorts of things. But I love the art. Um, I also could really tell that this writer was speaking from a place of their culture. And this story and reimagining is kind of... Um, including things from their life and stories that they obviously know very, very well and putting them in the Marvel Universe, which is very cool, very interesting to see, and using um, different mythological beasts as uh, definitions of mutants and stuff like that. I thought it was really, really cool and interesting. I don't know that I'd pick up another one. I gave this one a 5 out of 10. All right, yeah, I gave Demon Day's Cursed Web a 7 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Peach Momoko um, really just adding a whole new light uh, to mutants and fragments of the Marvel Universe um, that, you know, I've enjoyed every every piece that she's added to Demon Day's, and I, I look forward to the next one. Um, with that said, we will move on to Avengers number 48, Avengers 48 uh, continues with the current She-Hulk storyline um, with Gorilla Man sort of acting as a guide to Jennifer in her newly addled Winter Hulk state. They have some run-ins with various people who are trying to help her, protect her, guide her, communicate with her. Um, and we also see her picking a fight with everyone's favorite bag of douche, <laughs> Namor. Can't wait for that. Just anyone who can punch Namor makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I gave this one, unfortunately, though, a, a, a 6 out of 10. I'm not really loving the Winter Hulk storyline that they're giving us with her. And the biggest thing with this one is it's just... It's telling... A lot of the Avengers of Light feels like it's telling the stories just from the wrong angles, with the wrong attention on the wrong pieces. Um, and also, ever since uh, Maya became the Phoenix, I don't know how I feel about her not being deaf anymore because of that. Oh, I would have so many thoughts if I had known about that. Um, at least, they're not making an effort to establish that they're speaking telepathically. Um, like, it, it just doesn't look that way in the panels in this comic. It looks like Barton rounds a corner and says something, and she replies, and... Or is it Barton, or is it T'Challa? I, I'm, 
I think it's T'Challa. I think it's T'Challa. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how that works. It's, it's a little muddy, so I'm just not feeling it. I'm not accusing them of anything because I haven't done enough research into uh, Maya as a character pre this, but I know she was a... She's she's an up-and-comer as a, a deaf character in the new Hawkeye show. They've already announced she's getting her own Disney Plus show. Um, and she, when she became the host of the Phoenix at the end of the Phoenix games, I was kind of excited for her character to take on a really big role, really exciting role. Um, but then weird touches like this make it think like we're forgetting part, important parts of her. I, or at least not making an effort to display them. Yeah, I would be curious trying to think back I don't remember now if it was T'Challa if it was Hawkeye I would give them more lenience because Hawkeye in the comics like history he also knows ASL if I remember right um and so it would be poor taste to erase part of her identity and I would assume part of her culture if she is part of the deaf community and that representation would now be gone um so yeah, we'll have to look into that more before the next issue of that comic. I yeah was not a fan of this one either. Um, if like you said perfectly, it felt like they were doing this comic from Gorilla Man's point of view, which when I read the title was Avengers, I was very surprised by. Um, yeah, I just I didn't even give this one a rating. I gave it like a meh out of ten. Like I the end sounds interesting, and I'm excited for the next one simply because. I don't know who Namor is, so her punching him sounds fun, because <laughs> he looked douchey. Um, and I love Jennifer Walters, so the fact that she's a bad guy right now, I'm like, oh, I know that they do this all the time, but why? Why my girl? <laughs> um, yeah, and then, again, the fact that it's kind of just, ooh, the Russians are evil, they have turned a good guy evil, just like Winter Soldier and just like Black Widow. <laughs> I will say, though, that this comic continues on a recent trend um, of adding vampires back into regular Marvel occurrences. Um, There's a piece here where it fully establishes that um, Dracula's vampires have been feeding on Jenny uh, to make more powerful vampires. The Wolverine comics have touched on what Dracula's army is doing for a while now. None of this is new. Um, but now that Blade has been a core member of the actual Avengers team for a while and we're getting a Blade movie, I can expect us to see vampires being added to sort of the ongoing echelon of regular Marvel foes where we usually see aliens, robots, and wizards. What are the big three again? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. If they have a hat, though, they're a wizard. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, Jess, I will pass it over to you for New Mutants 21. Yeah, so I don't know any of the characters. Forgive me if I get their names wrong. They very helpfully, in one of the first couple pages of the comic, did have little um, like headshots almost with their character names. So forgive me if you read this and I'm saying the wrong characters. Um, so Warpath and group uh, are facing an aggressive horde of bug monsters in space. <laughs> While the other half of the team has Scout resurrected in Krakoa, where the five uh, clarify that as long as Cerebro lists you as an individual, regardless of your origins, you can be resurrected. Uh, the system does not register dupes or clones unless it is a significant individual divergence. Um, everything happening in Krakoa, I am in. Like, in the 
Marvel Pride anthology, there was one comic with, I think it was Anoli at a bar um, in Krakoa, and it was so cute and so fun, and the idea of a mutant island I'm here for, and the resurrection stuff, like, all of the um, kind of nightcrawler, like, morality stuff around that, I'm super interested in reading more about. This one barely touched on it. Um, but then everything in space and the art panels, uh, art styles were a little bit more like sketch. It didn't feel like there were no harsh lines to make it feel complete or finished as like a fully fledged product. Um, and then there were certain panels that were just completely filled to the brim with text to try and explain stuff. And I was like, you can show, you don't have to tell me all the time. I know there are corner cases and it makes it easier. And it also wasn't like those X-Men like file case pages. Those are different, but there were specific like comic, like squares. I don't know the word for it. Like a panel. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, I said panel. Um, Yeah, there were specific panels where it was two characters talking and it's like their little faces in the little corners and then just text. And I was like, Guys, you gotta be, like, in this medium, I feel like there would have been a better way to do it. Um, I gave it, like, a 6 out of 10. I would grab another one because I'm here for Kakoa, but you could probably give this one a pass, honestly. Like, it, nothing super, like, it. the defining of the rules of resurrection in Kakoa for that one piece was really cool and would impact other comics, I assume. Um, but, yeah, it's not, eh. Alright, that concludes our Lightspeed reviews, so now let's dive into some of the ones that we want to give a bit more love to. If you heard me shout them out at the beginning and you were excited, this is the part where we're really going to uh, unpack four of the comics that stood out to this week, positive or negative. <laughs> um, in honor of Stan's famous soapbox, we're going to call this segment our soapbox. Sounds good. Alright, so we're going to jump in with Captain Marvel issue 32, or issue one of the last of the Marvel's... Uh, arc in Captain Marvel. This is brought to us by writer Kelly Thompson, uh, superstar as always, artist Sergio Fernandez Davida, coloring by Ian Herring, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. So this one is my favorite of the week comics. Um, Carol gets attacked by a suit that she was forced to wear by Vox Supreme. She fights it off, remembering what it did to her and realizing it has likely trapped an ally or even maybe clone of herself inside. She knocks the assailant unconscious, takes him to Tony for help. <laughs> she gives him a heads up <laughs> in probably my favorite Tony moment of all time. <laughs> um, and he helps her remove the suit and it's revealed to be Prima Vale, I believe. Prima Vale? Uh, Phyla Vale. Phyla Vale? Okay. Uh, who tells Carol that Vox Supreme is collecting all of the marbles. As a result, Carol rushes off to protect Kamala Khan and arrives as the comic draws to a close. These were beautiful panels, empowering imagery. Um, it jumped straight into conflict. There was no preamble, um, like in other comics we'll talk about. Um, I was in and I wanted to read the next one as soon as freaking possible, and I can't believe it's not out. <laughs> this is why I don't read comics because I have to wait. I don't watch like live TV either. I'm now realizing it's been a while since I had to wait for anything. Uh, rating, I gave this a 9 out of 10. Uh, I only knocked one off for the exposition dump of her explaining uh, that she was trapped in the suit. It just felt like it went on a little bit long. As a new comic book reader, I did need that bit of information to understand what was happening and know who like had put... Um, what was her name? 
Philavel in the suit. Um, but I love that she burst in through Tony's ceiling and gave no shits about him at all and left him to clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? So, I really enjoyed this comic. Um, I found it started with good to sort of uh, some classic Carol moments with her talking, kind of, let's be honest, to herself about just her experiences of late. This current run by Kelly Thompson has had a lot of that. We've seen a lot of uh, Carol sort of struggling with her own decisions, her decisions to be a hero in recent comics. We got to see her talk to Kamala about why Kamala became a hero and how Carol can start to remember being that inspiration because she's had to make a lot of rough decisions of late, um, especially based on seeing the future and seeing some glimpses of her future that she was not excited for and deciding whether or not she wanted to work to stop those things and so we're getting a lot of introspection with carol these days and i'm i'm really enjoying it and this comic is no exception and then when uh this character attacks her we get to hear uh sort of her analyze this fight piece by piece like first she's talking about what to do how to strategize she's talking about like these powers are similar to mine is this a clone is we're getting that that you know, it, it, it's almost a little cliche, but I really like it of just like, you know, how a super person in the world would really react to this is a threat I've never seen before. What are you analyzing capabilities? Oh, you're like me. Clones are not unusual to me. Maybe you're a clone like, you know, this look. Oh, it's Vox Supreme. Vox Supreme, by the way. I can't wait for him to take the stage again. He's always an asshole. <laughs> um, and... Finding out that it was Phyla in the suit was really my biggest uh, critique of the whole issue. Um, because first off, I do I, I love I love a lot of what this issue set up, and I, I love comics that bring the Marvels together. Like she tries to call Monica because because we're gonna get the original Captain Marvel up in here. We've got the daughter of Captain Marvel up in here. We've got Kamala being attacked. Like even though many of these Marvels have drastically different circumstances that set them apart as Marvels. Fox is interested. But Phyla right now is a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which some of you may or may not be aware are very much embroiled in The Last Annihilation right now. And in fact, Phyla Vell literally has an important role in another one of the comics we're reviewing today. And so... And I understand, like, timelines are a little shifting and they can tell individual stories without always having to be impacted if everything always had to be impacted we end up with things like king and black where i'm reading everything tied into the same event for six months and that gets a little heavy but just having one comic where literally i put down a comic where philavel was talking and now philavel was in this suit and it's just it's a little jumpy um to have things that that big uh connected if philavel was just in regular guardians of the galaxy runs i'd be a little more forgiving but it's a pretty big arc right now and it's happening it's bouncing through a couple other arcs we're dealing with it in sword which is also related so there's just a lot going on there which as a reader who is reading lots of comics i i i ding stuff like that but as a reader who doesn't who hasn't been uh in all this probably doesn't even know who phyla Vell is what are you how no, did you I don't um I'm trying to think of which comic you're referring to that she was in, aside from Last Annihilation. And if she's in that one, I don't remember who she is. Or, like, I, I can't in my brain, aside from Teddy and Billy, pick out a specific character. She's the one who... 
hangs out with, who's, who's talking to Teddy when Teddy's doubting himself. Teddy's sister? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that because I didn't really care about her. <laughs> I was focused on other stuff in that comic, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, for me, it didn't detract. And to your point of her being in other comics, we have three Spider-Men right now this week. So I feel like that's a moot point. Um, but I find that the fact that we have three Spider-Men doing drastically different things is a drawback. Like, I, I ding all of that. Mm-hmm. I think if if I'm going to try and review genuinely, as someone who I understand that I read a lot of comics and I put up with a lot of comic nonsense. Comics <laughs> frequently just sort of expect you to play their game. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to tell people who've never read comics, oh, you should read comics... I, I'm going to ding them every time Marvel doesn't make it easy. When Marvel says, hey, we've got multiple comics named Spider-Man t- covering different stories that are not all related, that you'll be reading Sinister War and Web of Spider-Man, and they're not even same version of Peter Parker. It, you cannot even guess how much of Peter Parker is in one comic or is in another. Because literally today... We're reviewing three comics that capture three versions of Peter Parker who are completely different Peter Parkers. You cannot even guess when you read one of these, is this the Peter that I'm used to? Is this the Peter that I read last week? Is this the... And I think that's a negative. I, I, I get that Peter Parker sells comics. I do. I understand the need to put Spider-Man on as many things as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. But... This sort of moving canon is exactly why people are like, how do I get into comics? How will I pick up a comic about Peter Parker if I didn't start at the beginning and know what's going on? And nine times out of ten, it's because there is no beginning. There's so much circular stuff. We have three different comics of three different ages of Peter Parker. And the older Peter Parkers definitely are not written as if they went through the stuff that the younger Peter Parker went through in Web of Spider-Man. It's all just sort of thrown in the air and left up. Yeah, I feel like with any comic, though, because whether you pick up a comic from this week or a comic from the 80s, you just have to pick up that run and then branch out from there to see if it branched and just had a different name. Because trying to compare any character who makes cameos, because even, like, I remember you were telling me months ago now that there was a, I think it was an X-Men comic where Peter Parker is for one page in that comic, but I have no idea which series or current run of Spider-Man that Spider-Man was from. I feel like, like you said, Spider-Man prints money. Duh. Like, I don't think they're ever going to stop that. Um, And I think, too, for a writer, being able to pull in characters who, yes, are in other runs right now, rather than them being limited to characters that aren't in runs right now, might make those stories less interesting and less emotionally compelling. Oh, 100%. And I'm also willing to... uh concede that comics are not written as super close to production as one might hope and with events of uh, I don't know an ongoing pandemic and several months last year where comics weren't even made there was a lot of stop and go on comics production Mm. comics writing comics funding certain runs that people were looking forward to took breaks other runs disappeared entirely yeah so I feel like them doing their best, like, as long as they're kind of aware of what's going on in, in the comic world as a whole, and how that might be jarring to read one comic and then a different one where you were literally told that this planet doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, so this one, for 
it what it is. I get your point of it. It doesn't impact my viewing of the comic. Um, yeah, it, I don't think I would change my rating of it. Um, but what did you rate it overall? I gave this one an 8 out of 10. It was good, solid entry, and I'm looking forward to the climactic pieces of it. Um, the action in this comic outside of um, just some regular good old-fashioned like fighting uh, between this sort of faceless being that we didn't know was Phyla at the time was the only part that was like, cool, it was great to see Carol's perception of the action, but there wasn't any drama or stakes to the action. I never really believed Carol was in any danger. Um, and once she discovered Philo was dying, we moved on to the more interesting part of figuring out what's coming next. And that's where this comic arc is really going to take off, I think. Uh, so I'm absolutely in on uh, Captain Marvel 33, 34, you know, whatever the fallout from this is. Yeah, this whole arc, I feel like I'll be very, very invested. Awesome. All right. Next issue on our chopping block. Soapbox. 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 Right. (laughs) Sorry. Chopping block just got me in the mood because of what comic we're talking about. (laughs) We've got Marvel's Dark Ages number one. Dark Ages number one is the first comic in what is going to be a ongoing or a short ongoing series of... Alternate universe Marvel comics and about a world without electricity and how that affected the destiny of the heroes that we know and love. And in what we were just complaining about, this comic starts with Peter Parker talking about the world before the fall. And he tells the story all about how it happened. And he tells this long, drawn-out story about how a sudden celestial weapon appears out of nowhere and is in the center of our Earth. And all these heroes have to deal with mega earthquakes and terrible news and bad, bad things. And then Uatu the Watcher, the Watcher who does not get involved, just shows up and tells them all what's going on and why they should stop it. Otherwise, everything will die because this tool was built to make everything die. So they do. They assemble a crack team to go into the center of the Earth, which is not the gooey center of a Tootsie Roll Pop that we were led to believe, and is now, in fact, just full of an angry Celestial. And Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch and Vision and Thing and Invisible Woman get their butts kicked, but then they save the world by Doctor Strange opening up No More Electricity Land and screwing over our world entirely. There's no more electricity. And that's really the whole comic. And it's dense and exposition-y. And we get to see Peter like with his daughter and MJ. Which again, Peter with daughter is not a thing in the current Spider-Man run. And it's definitely not a thing in the web of Spider-Man run. Him and MJ going on weird playdates with Jessica Jones and them is not... Something you'll see in other Spider-Man, which is, again, sort of this ongoing moving target continuity. And it just establishes what Dark Ages is going to be. The most interesting page in all of Dark Ages, number one, is telling us that the stories they plan on using this as a vehicle to tell might be interesting. We see a shot of a steampunk Iron Man, and it looks like he's on the side of Apocalypse being surrounded by several mutants and non-mutants in this new world. And it's all very cool looking in those last few pages. Like, oh, look, we've got something more exciting coming. This wasn't that. I did not 
aside from pleasant art and like, oh, cool, celestial thing. Oh, and that fight's over. Like, this was a weird... Spider-Man gives a bunch of exposition on the latest series of alternate universe stuff. Which is cool. It doesn't really do anything for me narratively. I give issue one only a five and a half out of ten. Like, it's... It's not... Like, I love the cover. I was really excited for a concept of this. Um, and, like, a teaser of them just being like, Hey, web shooters need electricity, apparently. Um, <laughs> just talk. I have more to say. I, I, I'm going to pick this one apart all night if I have to. <laughs> I mean, you gave it a five out of five. I, uh, um, so, for me, I wrote a summary in my notes. I said, this entire comic is the prologue to a what-if episode, where the question is, what if electricity wasn't an option? Also, several key heroes like Scarlet Witch and Vision are dead. The Earth is literally plunged back into the Dark Ages due to the unstoppable EMP pulsing at the center of the planet for reasons. And like you said, there was exposition and deus ex machina with Uatu, like, just jumping in to give us all the info dump we need. They didn't have enough time to like actually assess that there was a problem no one scanned the center of the earth to see that there was a problem no one it it just seems so unlikely to me that this would even happen <laughs> like if they wanted to do a what if just do a what if just say there's an emp that's constantly pulsating at the center of the earth also you don't have scarlet witch and vision go like and, and what <laughs> like Literally the most interesting thing was the last page where Peter Parker's sitting at a campfire explaining that he just told you this story of how this happened, how we ended up in the Dark Ages. And time skipped as Peter Parker some good. He he looks like a Dilf who <laughs> <laughs> like I think is the first time and only time I will ever say that about Peter Parker. Um, but it was just way too much exposition that just easily could have just started with that campfire scene of him being like, there was a thing, Doctor Strange stopped it by opening a portal to an EMP, we don't have electricity, so this is life now, has been for the past five years, and then just go, like, why, why are we, you don't need to explain to me what happened, just tell me that we're living in a world without electricity, and I'll go, okay, because with those what if episodes on on Disney Plus, I haven't been like, but why? Because <laughs> obviously the only question is why not? So mm-hmm. I gave this like a two out of ten simply because the way that they did this one, I don't have high hopes of them telling a good story with this what if question. I think they can. I think it, the rest of this run will be interesting, but this like entry into it was such a poor like show of face and faith and it felt like they just wanted to extend it by an extra comic like issue to get more money or something i don't i don't understand well yeah this was a 34 page comic to establish this and literally it's it introduces that the world is now without electricity on page 31 of the comic is when we find out oh this is Peter sitting around a fire um, telling the people who live in this world that the apocalypse came after all of that. And we get to see this one awesome shot of Miles Venom, Steam Iron Man, Angry She-Hulk, Beast, what looks like edgy Mr. Fantastic, <laughs> and Lady Deathstrike, I guess? And, of course, edgy Mr. Fantastic is on Apocalypse's team because his wife died in the center of the Earth. No, she's the only one who survived. Oh, well. So I don't know why he's edgy. (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know. I got nothing on issue number one, guys. I hope Dark Ages looks at least looks this good the rest of the way through. Oh, it looks the art's, gorgeous. The art's great, and I like Apocalypse. He's uh, he's my guy. But I don't know. This ain't it. <laughs> yeah, I I would say skip the first issue and just pick up the next one. Yeah, you won't be missing much. There's no electricity. That's it. Yeah. Welcome to the Dark Ages. All right. Next, we're going to jump into Sinister War number four, which is the uh, conclusion of the Sinister War. It's the conclusion of the Sinister War comic arc, um, but not the conclusion of the events that caused the Sinister War, which is not endlessly confusing enough already. In this comic, we see, though, the finale of the showdown of the Sinister Six... The six Sinister Sixes fight it out, and um, we get to see Boomerang finally show up to be the guy he was meant to be by saving Peter from Moreland. Um, And we get to see Doc Ock um, come to Peter's aid, but not in a I like you, let's be friends kind of way, just in a enemy of my enemy kind of way. And the comic itself is really kind of a mess. I'm I like Sinister War as a concept, but really, aside from panels of just Peter being like, "Oh my God, Grey Gargoyle! Oh my God, I can't believe I've used to fight this guy! Oh my God, this these people! Oh, it's Juggernaut! Oh, it's Whirlwind! Oh no! Oh no! That's that's this comic, and then Doc Ock just ends the whole threat. Literally, like Peter doesn't win. He wins because Doc Gawk was like, okay, I'm tired of this charade, essentially. And he turns kindred centipedes against them. And then the end of it, we see this continued tease that it has everything kindred is doing has something to do with Mephisto, which means it probably has something to do with the infamous One More Day. I don't know. I want Kindred to be wrapped up. We've, I feel like I've been reading Kindred for a long time. I feel like he has a chance to be interesting, but he also keeps getting every chance to be confusing. I don't want to say the words Clone Saga, those out there. I'm sorry. Like, it's not as bad as the Clone Saga. But Sinister War is burying the lead on an interesting story about Spider-Man. And potentially, if we're going to get to some kind of one more day reversal or something, I think there's a cool status quo change that could be coming in favor of our of our boy Peter here. But I, I don't know if we're going to get it. I I don't trust that this comic is doing anything other than just, hey, six Sinister Sixes. What if Spider-Man had to fight 36 villains? 32. 32. Right. Yeah, I know the math doesn't check out. shark All right. <laughs> I just... Yeah. I... And again, I didn't grow up with comics. I was not a small boy who looked up to a small boy becoming a superhero. Um, I didn't have that. <laughs> like, I was already well into my tween or teens when Spider-Man 2 came out and everyone loved it. The movie. Um, I... It felt like it was one big fight scene. Um, aside from a single page in, like, a, a casino or something. 
And it looks like this fight's been going on for hours and multiple issues and he's not getting any footing. He's also not able to escape. Like, it's just very, like, Peter down on his luck and not the greatest hero alive or whatever that people like to describe Batman as, which I don't agree with. But (laughs) it doesn't feel like this was ever designed to be even remotely fightable, let alone winnable. Um, Like, it's very drawn out. Um, I could see the deus ex machina coming from a mile away. I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know it was going to be Doc Ock and Boomerang. Um, But I was like, there's no, you can't, this won't, what? You're not going to kill Peter Parker with all of the villains ever. Like, it, it, it sounds too gimmicky for it to be an actual death of Spider-Man. I know they've killed Spider-Man in the past. But it felt like there was just too much. Like, it felt like it went too hard. Like, <laughs> they were playing chess and they were now, like, adding 70 billion pieces to play. And I'm like, no, that's not how... Just fair fight <laughs> or, like, slightly, like, overpowered fight, like, against one Sinister Six, maybe. Like, the highlights, like, we all expect. <laughs> like, even Peter, the fact that even Peter at one point was like, oh, yeah, I fought you. I was like, oh, I am so done. <laughs> like, if this, if I'm not even supposed to know who they are because he doesn't know who they are. Ugh. Well, see, I think I, the vibe I was getting from some of these is that some of these he fought before one more day. So in the current timeline, does he know that he fought them? Like he obviously still is equipped with the memories of everything. Kind of sort of, but, but he's not remembering that he's not supposed to see MJ anymore. Yeah. He, he doesn't. So maybe he doesn't remember that he fought them. Or maybe he only has passing memories cause it was only partially edited or it's like hard I'm not... to remember before. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not getting the greatest vibe from Sinister War. I also kind of hoped they were going to kill him off, because we had Mephisto and Doctor Strange doing this thing that seemed to be talking about Peter's soul. And I was like, cool, this all started maybe with Peter in the hole. Maybe we. Maybe it takes 32 villains to throw him back in, and then we get some kind of big underworld moment that between Peter and Kindred or Peter and Mephisto or maybe Steve helps him out. I don't know. But, alright. Enough harping on Sinister War. I'm sure some people out there really enjoyed it. it. It'll bring back a lot of your favorite villains. Like, if you had Morlin on your Spider-Man villain bingo card, check it off. He was here. <laughs> but, I don't know. Five out of ten. Yeah, I gave this one, like, a... 6 out of 10, namely because I also gave it the like benefit of the doubt that maybe if I had been reading this one all the way through, this was the first one where it felt like me jumping into the middle of it felt like I was doing myself a disservice. I f- almost felt like this might have been a payoff because if you had been struggling with Peter for several issues and then you read this one where he's finally kind of getting out of it and able to fight back now that he has some allies and not all of his villains of all time... Like, it felt like out of all the comics this week, this was the one where I felt like, okay, if I had been reading it from the first one, I think I would enjoy this more. So I didn't want to just detract anyone listening to this podcast from reading it for that sake. Um, So I rated it a little bit higher than me personally. Like, I probably will read the next one of this one just to kind of get more clarification on what the heck is going on. Like, it's that kind of thing where if I don't 
love it, at least make me feel something, even if it's confusion, because <laughs> I don't want to learn what's going on. Actually, I am going to bump this one probably up to a six, because I did forget that this is a quickened conclusion to the uh, arc that we got in Amazing Spider-Man and the Spider-Man annual with Boomerang. We got a lot more time with Boomerang in previous comics, and I sort of discounted that when I read this issue, because I felt like they rushed it, but... Uh, for those who ha- haven't read all of the the mess leading up to this, uh, in Spider-Man comics previous, Boomer- Boomerang approached Spider-Man that he wanted to turn over a new leaf and he needed the help of Spider-Man to do it. And they went on a couple adventures together and turns out Boomerang was actually doing all of it because he was kind of a... Uh, betraying Spider-Man to get at something, but also because he was in danger of not if he couldn't convince Spider-Man to do it. But then we we get these glimpses that Peter is getting through to Boomerang throughout that entire arc. That Boomerang wished that he could be good. And that at the end of it, it just came down to he was still in too much danger to actually not betray Spider-Man in the end. And he needed Spider-Man there. And the culmination of that arc was Spider-Man grabbing a magical artifact that you needed to be a true hero to approach... And even though Boomerang was on the road of becoming a hero, um, Peter didn't uh, want him to get vaporized by touching it wrong. So he got Peter grabbed the artifact and then Boomerang betrayed him. Boomerang has now sacrificed his life, got killed by Morlin to save Peter. I kind of think that makes him the hero that he was supposed to be there. It's a rushed conclusion in this comic. Boomerang deserved a bit more love than I think he got there. Uh, but I will give it a 6 out of 10 for that conclusion. I forgot about Boomerang's piece. Um, and I did forget to read these out at the start, but Sinister War number 4 was brought to us by writer Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson. Pencils um, by Diogenes Neves and Mark Bagley. Um, ink by Diogenes Neves and Andy Owens. Andrew Hennessy, Marcello Ferreira. And coloring by Andrew Crossley and lettering by Joe Caramagna. Finally, we're going to finish up our night of reviews with The Last Annihilation, Wiccan and Hulklings one-off issue by writer Anthony Oliveira, artist Jan Basildua, coloring by Rochelle Rosenberg, and design by Ariana, design and lettering by Ariana Mar. So, throughout this comic, we see flashbacks to when Teddy and Billy first meet and begin dating. Uh, while they're trying to fight off this Blast Annihilation, which is Dormammu and I don't remember who else. Um, uh, Dormammu birthed himself into our world using Ego, the living planet. Right, Ego. Um, and then summoned his army of the Faceless Ones. Um, so as they're fighting, um, they're talking to Philavel and Avalanche and a bunch of other characters... Um, I imagine I would like Avalanche as a character if I knew more about him and why he's throwing Richter under the bus when he fucks up. Um, (laughs) But this was a really fun comic. Um, The art, the story, the emotion, the plot, the mechanics, it all made sense and I was invested um, in these two main characters. But more than that, I wanted to know, like, what they were fighting, why they were separated. Um, I'm not entirely clear just because of my lack of comic knowledge on how their powers work exactly like how they were able to swap spoiler alert um but it was really cool and like 
really fun and it's like the king of space makes sense now like all that kind of stuff in the um court wizard or whatever he's called of space prince like, consort oh yes and and wizard something he's the court wizard but he's also the prince oh, consort. court wizard yeah um because i hadn't seen them in their working capacity i guess i had seen them more so in their uh roles as husbands um in the pride comics reading their vows um, but also I had read a one-off earlier. I think it might have been the King in Black Their honeymoon episode. event. Yeah, I read the honeymoon episode because Kirk thought I'd really enjoy it. And I did. Um, but it was so nice comparing this one to the last one uh, where I could obviously tell I was in the middle of an event. Like I was jumping into the middle of Last Annihilation. It did a good enough job of explaining what was going on. But I was focused on these two characters and them trying to overcome this piece of this Annihilation saga. Comparing it to the middle of coming into Sinister War, I I didn't feel like I was missing anything. And I felt like the framing and the way that the writers set everything up in this one was much better constructed. Um, Again, having those emotional pieces of them starting dating... Um, being sprinkled throughout the comic. I was waiting for the next panel of high school Billy and Teddy. (laughs) Um, So I thought it was really well done and it gave it a lot of emotional value that felt worthwhile when it finally did pay off and they finally did get the things they needed to defeat the enemies. I highly recommend it. I gave it a 10 out of 10, which, yes, I know is higher than Captain Marvel, even though Captain Marvel was my favorite this week. I, I just couldn't find anything wrong. Like, I, I, there was nothing in it that turned me off. There was nothing in it that I had more questions about if I wanted to go Google more about Dormammu and Ego. But I feel like I have enough of a, like, general gist of those two villains that even though they're working in a weird capacity right now that I don't fully understand, that's fine because I'm not really interested in how the villain does stuff. That's never been me. I know some people are all about villains. Um, But for me, it felt like a cohesive team plan that was executed well even though it was a struggle. Like, it didn't feel like they walked in, stomped on them, and left. It walked, It felt like they had a deserved fight. Yeah, absolutely. This comic... Guys, this comic's a one-off, and this is this earns its place. It's a good tie-in. Um, first off, the, the sub-story of young Billy and young Teddy, especially ending with the introduction of Iron Lad, sort of launching in, and, you know, in those days, that was back when... Uh, Wiccan believed himself uh, to just have lightning powers and he was going by the name as Guardian or he was about to go by the name as Guardian um, because he did not yet realize who he was the child of or that his powers were just being able to connect to magic and change reality. Um, and there's there's so much good here, like having Phyla talk to Teddy about the, the version of him in quotation marks from her world that the doran the mad emperor who was quite different from our our boy here was really nice and plus the the inclusion of the the negabands um which is how they change places i love that like i the the negabands are such a cool artifact of captain marvel um you know, may he rest in peace. He 
is such a cool character and he lives on through Teddy um, and he lives on through Phyla and he lives on through Marvel Boy and Carol and like he works so well as this famous legacy honestly I he's it's I'm so glad that comics treat him as an Uncle Ben that he's he you know him and Uncle Ben they, they get to stay mostly dead <laughs> And that's what makes it cool. If if they cheapen it by bringing him back, it it, it it all goes to waste. But Captain Marvel, as he is now, as this old icon that just everyone knows, like, he, you know, he died a hero, he was a hero, he was the hero, and because he was the hero, we've got all these other people who are the hero now. And that the bands that him and Rick Jones used to use to switch places are now the wedding rings that Billy and Teddy can use to switch places, that's... It's tight. I love it. It's it's a good comic. It's a good inclusion. It's a good new twist on their stuff together. Um, for those who aren't all that in on like that history, I highly recommend checking out just some of the history of the original like male Captain Marvel. I if it's got Captain Marvel in the title, read up on its history. Monica's history as Captain Marvel is great. Carol's history as Captain Marvel is great. And Marvel's history as Captain Marvel is great. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> There's a lot of good comics history there. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, I give this comic a 8.8 out of 10. It's really, really good. And if I had to uh, criticize any of it, I it's not so much criticism so much as I just want... I, I want it to develop more. We're, I'm so glad we're getting Billy and Teddy Wiccan and Hulkling in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics. But literally, you know, Hulkling is the king of the Kree Skrull Alliance, the largest space military force in the galaxy. And I feel like there's so much room to tell exciting stories with that, especially since we're seeing reflections of it in Sword. We're seeing reflections of it in the Guardians of the Galaxy and in these one-shots. And aside from two one-shots in Last Annihilation and King in Black, and then a touch in the Pride comic, they're leaving Wiccan and Hulkling on the table, despite the fact that he's king of space. <laughs> so, this is our plea to Marvel Comics. Please bring us more Billy and Teddy focus. Right? I want Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Wait. <laughs> No, I love this comic. It's good. Um, it's just, it had to tell its whole story in these pages. Guess what? I think telling its whole story over five issues would have been super cool. Or it would have been stretched out too far, like Dark Ages. But um, Well, then they could have told more stories. This is true. And, I, and that's well, the difference. I think going from the anthology where it was like 12 page comics to these which are like 30 page comics to knowing that I'll be able to catch back up and have multiple 30 issue comics with the same characters some of them need more time or we just want more time cuz we'll never be satisfied <laughs> yeah and that's and that's really it is it it just comes down to my only critique with this comic is that the the conflict, the reforging of the Sword of Stars, and the f discovery of the Negaband's function. Um, I just feel like that could have been told over multiple pieces and been part of really exciting action and plot lines. I'm still glad they told the story at all, though. I'm here for it. 
And that's the show. We don't have any more uh, comics to review tonight. Um, Jess, what was your favorite of the week and least favorite of the week and favorite comic panel comic moment? Favorite page, whatever it was. What was your favorite thing to look upon? Mm. My favorite comic of the week was Captain Marvel. Again, it was just really well done from top to bottom. Um, and I think my favorite comic moment was Carol calling Tony to see if he was home and him going, yeah, but I'm busy and her crashing through his roof. Because <laughs> <laughs> my big complaint, because I didn't grow up with the comics, and so people online, especially with the MCU movies, criticizing Carol's character for being arrogant and being all the things that Tony is, I'm like... They are the same character. Do you, do, you, do you not see that? Like, Because I could definitely see this in reverse. If Tony called Rhodey to be like, hey, you busy? And he'd be like, yeah, I am. And he'd be like, whoops, here, here's a package. Like, it really, to me, kind of was the exact mirror I needed to like solidify my opinion that they are the same character, just different genders. And it felt, like, vindicated almost, or like my thoughts were confirmed that it's fine to not like a character but don't say it's because they're arrogant because there's lots of characters that are arrogant in Marvel Comics um my least favorite of the week I'd probably have to say oh man I don't even like I guess the Avengers one, just because I didn't care about Gorilla Man, and we had like one or two pages with T'Challa and Maya, I think her name was, and that was cool. I was like, ooh, ooh, what's happening? Oh. And like one page of Blade, and I was like, ooh, ooh, what's- and then it goes back to Gorilla Man. <laughs> like, that's not the part that I want to read about. Um, there were no real, like, duds duds. Namely because with Dark Ages, I can tell that it's about to be... I guess Dark Ages is probably the least big favorite of the week, actually. I would probably put Dark Ages on the bottom. Like, you can skip it and pick up issue two. Alright. Yeah, for me, my favorite comic of the week was Last Annihilation. There was just a lot of really good moments in there. Uh, really good stuff established. And I just loved the the sweet Billy and Teddy flashback arc of it. It was probably my favorite... If you just cut out the present day stuff of it, I bet you could read that pretty entertainingly as like a solid little excerpt from something like a Marvel Voices Pride issue. Um, then least favorite, it's a tough one because I was really excited to go into Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. So I, I devoured Dark Ages as a comic pretty fast. And in that way, it's my least favorite in that it failed me the hardest. Um, but the current run of Avengers has been missing me the whole time. So that one also was my least favorite in terms of hard to get through yeah i got through dark ages i didn't enjoy my time with it and Mm -hmm. i think you should skip it but avengers made it hard to get through because i didn't care before i even started reading it Mm -hmm. they've lost you before you even picked it up yeah and so that one's a hard road to walk for me but I, i will say my least favorite was probably dark ages just in terms of letdown like that cover's gorgeous and that matters to me because the whole thing was gorgeous because if I'm going to walk into a comic shop, see it on the shelf, and I see that beautiful silhouetted 
dark panel of Spider-Man and it looks so edgy. And, <laughs> you know, 14-year-old me is all like, oh, what's this going to be? And I pick it up and I flip through it in the art and it looks good. And I read the back and I'm like, oh, saga of World Without Electricity. I'm in. I'm sold. Take me there. And then it's this. <laughs> right? It feels like an unnecessary prologue. It, it feels like it should start with just telling us what's up and what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I complained about New Mutants that they were telling too much rather than showing. But if you're going to do a what if, just tell us that's the question and then just go. Just just go nuts. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. We just got out of a Spider-Man what if that was all about him keeping the symbiote and... It was a weird, dark what if, but it really just started with a one page of like, the year is whatever. Peter still has the symbiote. Let's find out. Yeah, what happens next? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was that it. And like, yes, World Without Electricity does require a little bit more of a preamble, but I think they could have told it with like a more dramatic flair and a little bit less narration. Or even just have it so that like, if they had started us with like, there's a being at the center of the earth. We have to go fight it or we're going to die. And we just started there. And it's like, then we're trying to play catch up. And it, then I'm more interested and I want to keep reading and find out what put this there. Where is this thing from? Who who figured it out first? Like, figuring that out rather than this linear, like, plotting. We're going to show all of the Spider-Men and all of their spider senses. Oh, and then we're going to go here and Lunella's going to notice. And she's going to go running to Stark. Oh, and we're going to notice the Fantastic Four, and they're going to, like, I don't need four false starts to tell me something's wrong. I will say, though, I did like the, uh, all of the spider heroes, like, writhing in pain with the description of, like, the spiders noticed first, or felt it first, or whatever. I thought that was just, like, a really cool concept for, like, if Galactus was showing up, knowing that in four separate places in New York or wherever, four spider people just fell on the ground screaming. Like, that's a cool, like, world piece that I liked in Dark Ages, but the comic didn't take me there. And that's what I mean, too. If they had made it much quicker exposition and just had that page and started that way and been, like, the spiders felt it first, I would have been like, felt what? What's happening? And then it was like, okay, we need some strike team. To where? What's happening? Like, if, if it had been more, like, cloak and shadow almost and, like, trying to, like... With the carrot almost, try and, like, lure me through the story rather than this, like, there's a thing that's happening. We're not going to tell you what. There's a thing that's happening. You already know, but we're not going to tell you what. Like, Uwatu will explain everything. Yeah, it was, it was like, this deus ex machina from the literal sky from the moon. <laughs> to not save the day, but to come explain the day. <laughs> yeah, and comic book fans out there, if you can find one that proves me wrong, please, please do correct me. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, if your story involves Uatu being the character that explains what's going on, I think we've already lost it, bud. Because outside of what ifs, because Uatu explaining what ifs makes sense. And this one, I guess, maybe started that way because they were like, oh, this is a what if. Let's get Uatu up in here. Mm -hmm. But no, if if Uatu is explaining to the heroes what they need to do, then Uatu has already broken his job as the Watcher. Yeah. I don't know. And in terms of favorite panel, favorite moment out of all of these comics today, hmm. That's a tough one. I, I think the Negabands, that, that switch, I didn't really see coming. Oh, okay. Um, 
you know, they they started teasing that, you know, Rick Jones used to use these to switch. And I was like, so I could tell that they were building up. I was like, oh, do the Negabands have some power still? Are they going to connect to what made Captain Marvel powerful? Maybe they're just going to become more strong. I'm cool with that, whatever. But then there being the switch and them being both kind of in the same boat, the same situation, the perfect situation for their partner, literally like being an actual perfect mirror to help each other through life. It's very cute. It's very fun. I dig it. Lots of newlywed vibes, yeah. Yeah, they're cute, and I hope they're cute forever, and I swear to God, if Marvel ever takes them away forever, if we have to read about the fucking space divorce, then I'm I'm out. (laughs) All right. Uh, That's everything for us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you again to our Patreons. Because of your support, um, we are able to keep making content. We're able to cover all the things you love, and Not A Robot is able to keep making shows dedicated to all of the things great and small. We've got a lot of stuff that you can check out at notarobotpodcast.com. I highly recommend going there. Um, if you're interested in other stuff that we're working on, we've got a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. You can hear Jess on the Pop Culture Roundtable podcast. And most recently, I've also joined War on Film when I have the opportunity. Yeah, really exciting. Great network of stuff. Thank you to our Patreon, our patrons. Um <laughs> Without you, um, this wouldn't all be possible. So thanks for all your support. And with that said, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Shit's happening.